but it is sure. There is a particular love which we owe to those that love God. But where are even the Christians who love one another as he hath given us commandment? How many hindrances lie in the way? This is the question John Wesley is dealing with in our sermon for this week on Wednesdays with Wesley, the sermon Catholic Spirit. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Bob Kaler. I'm pastor of Tri Lakes United Methodist Church in Monument, Colorado. And this week we're looking at this sermon of John Wesley, Catholic Spirit, which is one of the most misquoted and abused, I think, of John Wesley's sermons. It's a sermon about uh, relationships within the Christian church, that which pertains to all Christian churches. It takes that idea of Catholic. We also use that idea in the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed, Catholic meaning universal. The love that Wesley is talking about here is the love that we should have for those of different Christian traditions and how we should interact with them and why there are things that get in the way of that. But again, this sermon is often used to make Wesley into an interfaith pluralist, whereas this is really more of an ecumenical sermon about how we relate to people of other traditions while maintaining a core of classic Christianity. This is a sermon that goes hand in hand with another one, A Caution Against Bigotry, which is a sermon on relations with those outside of Christianity, but those who are doing good. We'll look at that one next week. But I want to dive into Catholic spirit because it's focused on these relations within the larger church, across denominations, throughout the world, manifested in these various theological traditions. You don't have to go very far to realize that there are a lot of different traditions out there. One of the great things that I love when I teach confirmation or when I'm teaching a new member class is to show a graphic of the tree that goes from Judaism to Jesus and then to the Great Schism in 1054 and to all the different branches of Protestantism. I read a book uh, not too long ago about the Protestant Reformation, and it said that one of the one of the pushback pieces of the Reformation was that when people got the Bible in their own language, they all began to interpret it on their own. And so we have so many different interpretations of Scripture, and yet we still believe in one universal Catholic universal church. So it's a tree with many branches that we have in Christianity. We have unity and diversity and Catholicity. And it's important to remember as we begin to look at this sermon that there is really no existing theological tradition today that was not part of some previous schism. There is no one and only true church that exists as a singular denomination. Now, some will claim that. But rather, the church is the entirety of Christianity centered on one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So in this sermon, Wesley is thinking about how to get along with those within the universal church who think and worship differently than we do. And for his text in this sermon, he uses a really unusual text. It's from 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15. This is one of those interesting texts in the Old Testament where Jehu is anointed by one of the company of prophets who's sent by Elisha. He's anointed king over the northern kingdom of Israel, and Jehu then stages a bloody rebellion against the house of Ahab. If 
you know about King Ahab, of course, he was married to Queen Jezebel. He was the one whom Elijah had prophesied against. Now we're getting into the next generation. Queen Jezebel is still around. Jehu was anointed king, and he's going to take over this kingdom by basically killing off the entire house of Ahab. He instigates the assassination of Queen Jezebel, who's thrown from a tower by two eunuchs, and her body is eaten by dogs. Uh, He slaughters Ahab's 70 sons, and he even slaughters Ahaziah and the relatives of Ahaziah, who was the king of uh, Judah at the time. So it's a really bloody text. And then as he's leaving this bloody scene, Jehu encounters a man named Jehonadab, who is a potential supporter who's come to meet him. And the exchange between them is the basis for Wesley's sermon. Are you in accord with me as I am with you? Jehu asks Jehonadab. And if so, give me your hand. And then interestingly, if you look at the rest of that text, uh, Jehu and Jehonadab get in the chariot and they head out to Samaria where they killed all who were left to Ahab in Samaria until he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. So here is this text where these two guys get together and go out and kill off the rest of Ahab's family. So why is Wesley using this particular text? It's a very interesting uh, text to be able to use. And what he does here is he employs what many preachers would call the exegetical shoehorn. In fact, according to Jason Vickers and Ken Collins, Wesley produced this sermon in 1750, and he sent a copy of it to a Reverend Mr. Clark of Hollymount, who claimed that the content of this work actually had little to do with the text. I would say that's absolutely accurate. Very little of what Wesley is dealing with here in this sermon has to do with this particular text. So just keep that in mind that John Wesley was not above proof texting to make a point or an eisegetical look at the scriptures. But he is talking about this likeness of heart. So there is a connection there. And he's talking here about that likeness of heart being love, love that is due to all mankind which is the royal law. And it's this peculiar love that we are to have for those in the body of Christ, whether they are part of our particular theological tradition or not. Now, we have to define here what we mean by love. That's an important piece for John Wesley. We're not talking about a general or generic sort of love that's popular in North American culture. We use that word in so many different ways. When Wesley talks about love, he's really talking about holy love, the the kind of love demonstrated by Christ at Calvary. And Wesley's going to quote from the Gospel of John and 1 John as that defining character of love. As God has loved us in Christ, so we ought also to love one another. So it's not just a feeling of positive regard. It's not just tolerance. It's not just acceptance. Rather, it is sacrificial love. As God has loved us, so we also ought to love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, as Jesus says to his disciples. Now, all men approve of this kind of love, Wesley says, but do all practice it? He says there are two hindrances to this love within the body of Christ. 
the two grand general hindrances are these, that they can't all think alike and they can't all walk alike. He's talking about differences in opinions or modes of worship that may prevent an external union, but do they need to prevent us from union in affection? In other words, we might have differences in the way that we worship or in our polity or things like that, but does that preclude us from having love for one another? This is the context in which Wesley says these famous words, which are often, again, taken out of character. Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are, of not, we are not of one opinion. Jehu, of course, is a mixed character, and he's an example of this. Is your heart right with mine? Then, then give me your hand. So Wesley's going to define in this sermon two key questions. Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? And if it be, then give me thine hand. So we're going to break this down into two different parts. First, is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? So it's about the heart first for Wesley, not about opinions. Wesley says that Jehu does not inquire of Jehonadab's opinions. He lets Jehonadab about in his own sense. Because of the limits of human understanding, all people are not going to see things alike. That may be a shock to you, but people don't always see things the same. Every person believes that his or her opinions are true, yet no one can be assured that all of his own opinions taken together are true. We might believe our opinions are true, but we get into a problem when we think that everything we believe is absolutely the truth. We have to, we have to recognize that we are ignorant of many things, and to mistake some is the necessary condition of humanity. What Wesley's doing here, I think, is talking about the limits that we have to our understanding. For who can tell how far invincible ignorance may extend? I love that phrase, invincible ignorance. For the wise person, he says, will thus extend others the same liberty of thinking which he desires they should allow him and will no more insist on their embracing his opinions than he would have them insist on his embracing theirs. In other words, it's okay if we hold different opinions. The question is, do we hold to more in common than we do apart? What are some of the things that Christians may hold apart, different opinions? One of those is about modes of worship. Where there are varying opinions, there will be various modes of worship. Don't have to go too far in the church today to see that. Just travel around. You'll see in different churches very different types of worship. Of course, I came to ministry in the early 90s during the worship wars, and this was a big question. It's still a big question in many churches that do different kinds of worship services. So Wesley asked, how shall we choose among so much variety? No one can choose for another. All must follow the dictates of conscience and simplicity and godly sincerity. Wesley says, quote, But every man must judge for himself, as every man must give an account of himself to God. So these customs, these traditions, these worship wars are not the basis of Catholic spirit. We have one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but we can worship God in different ways 
And that's okay. We have to judge for ourselves the best way to do that. Nor, says Wesley, is it about preferring one congregation to another. And for Wesley, congregation means a particular theological tradition. We are often born into a particular tradition. And we do not impose our mode of worship then on another congregation. It's like if someone from a liturgical tradition shows up at a contemporary evangelical church and says, well, you have to do X, Y, and Z, or it's not really worship, or vice versa. We can't impose our mode of worship on another congregation. We have our preferences, and we have our traditions. We ask not of those with whom we would unite in love about their modes of worship in an attempt to denigrate them. The only question, again, is, is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? Someone with Catholic spirit should be able to go to any Orthodox Christian congregation and worship in whatever mode they happen to be worshiping in and find much to celebrate. Because if the heart is right, if our heart is connected to Christ, if we're demonstrating holy love, then the mode of worship or that particular theological tradition doesn't matter so long as it maintains a core of orthodoxy. We'll get to that here in a minute. So here are the the key questions of the sermon. What does it mean to have a right heart? Here are some of the questions that Wesley lays out here for determining whether a heart is right. First, is the heart right with God? Is your life directed toward God? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as he revealed in your soul? Is your faith filled with the energy of love or faith working by love? Are you employed in doing God's will? Is your eye fixed on him? Do you serve God without fear? Is your heart right toward your neighbor? Do you show your love by your works? This again is defining what Wesley means by holy love, being right with God, being directed toward God, to believe in Christ, to be employed in doing God's will. That's what really matters. Remember last time we talked about self-denial, that that really is where the rubber meets the road in discipleship, about doing God's will rather than our own. Is our eye fixed on him and on doing his will? That's what it means to have a right heart. That's what it means to have holy love. And if you have that same heart, then Wesley says, give me thine hand. Don't have to be of my opinion or embrace my mode of worship, but love me, but in a higher degree than a general love of all mankind. Love that is long-suffering and kind, patient, love that believes the best about me, and I believe the best about you. This is the, the kind of love Wesley's talking about. We want to extend the love of Christ to others and believe the best about them, even if we don't agree with how they worship or what theological tradition they come from. As part of that giving of the hand, Wesley says, commend me to God in all your prayers. We should pray for one another. Provoke provoke me by your example to love and to good works. Spur one another on, in other words, to find the good and to support that and encourage it. Love me not in word only, but also in deed and in truth. We can't just say that we love 
people from other Christian traditions, but do it through gritted teeth. We have to demonstrate that love, working together ecumenically where we can, worshiping together where we can. The love that I receive from another, Wesley says, I should be ready to give as well. If your heart be as my heart, give me your hand. Let's have a similar heart surrounded about, around faithfulness to Christ and love of Christ. And then let us join hands together in the ways that we can, supporting one another, praying for one another, living with one another. So what is a Catholic spirit? Well, first we want to talk about what it is not. And this is where we get into the question of how this sermon gets used to make Wesley into a universalistic pluralist, which he is not. And he defines that here in the sermon. This is why you have to read all of Wesley's sermon and not just the sound bites. First, he says it's not speculative latitudinarianism which is the idea that basic Christian doctrine doesn't matter, that I can believe whatever I want. In fact, Wesley does not support this, and he says the opposite. He says, this is the spawn of hell, not the offspring of heaven. Rather, one with a Catholic spirit is fixed as the sun in his judgment concerning the main branches of Christian doctrine. Go and first learn the elements of the gospel of Christ, and then you shall learn to be of truly Catholic spirit. Catholic spirit here then is not a way of saying whatever you believe theologically is absolutely fine. If your heart is the same as mine, give me your hand. No, for Wesley, there is a core of Christianity. There is the main branch of Christian doctrine. If you're falling outside of that, then that is not Catholic spirit that we're talking about. That's the spawn of hell, not the offspring of heaven. It's very important, I think, when we read this sermon to get that context in place. Nor does Wesley say, is it a practical latitudinarianism that I can do whatever I want? It's not indifference to public worship or the outward manner of performing it. Rather, the one with Catholic spirit clings to his particular mode of worship, therefore, without rambling hither and thither, he cleaves close thereunto and praises God for the opportunity of so doing. So it's, it's not saying that theology doesn't matter, nor does it say that modes of worship don't matter. Rather, it's saying the one with Catholic spirit understands his particular mode of worship, her particular mode of worship, and doesn't go shopping around for other places, but rather praises God for the opportunity that they have a tradition to worship from. We see so much church shopping in our culture. Part of the thing I think, and this is commentary from Bob Kaler, you can take or leave this, but I came to seminary in the early 90s again with the church growth movement. And so much of that was about taking out all the difference that we have, taking out crosses from the sanctuary, making it less religious, changing the music, changing the dress, changing the approach to worship. And I think in some ways that did allow a a generation of seekers to come and experience Christ. But on on another level, I think it downplayed the difference and it downplayed the, uh, the real depth of worship that many traditions have. For example, at our church, we do both contemporary and traditional worship. But in both cases, the liturgy is essentially the same. We 
do use different music to impact different generations. But we want to have those elements of worship that we cling to, as Wesley says. We cling to this particular mode of worship because we're wanting to teach the faith. That doesn't mean I denigrate another tradition where maybe they have 45 minutes of singing and followed by 45 minutes of preaching. But we hold on to that, and we recognize that there are differences, and those differences can be important in what they communicate. We don't denigrate, again, but we recognize the difference. So we're not indifferent to public worship. We're not indifferent to theology. And yet, despite those things, we can connect with those who are with us as part of the church universal, part of that one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Wesley adds another piece here. He says, nor is it indifference to all congregations. It's not anti-denominational, nor does it promote church shopping, as I said earlier. He is fixed in his congregation as well as his principles. He is united to a congregation not only in spirit, but in fellowship, He watches over brothers and sisters in love as they watch over him. But while he is fixed in his own congregation, he extends Catholic universal love to all mankind. This is another important piece in a consumeristic world. Again, people want to bounce around to different congregations. Oh, there's something I don't like here. I'm going to go off to the next one. And people will say things like, you know, I want to go find a a church that fits me better. Well, I get that. On the other hand, we're called to be part of the body of Christ and that we should invest our lives in a particular congregation, recognizing that because we're human, because as Wesley says earlier in the, in the sermon, we have a limited understanding, we're not always going to agree on everything. We should agree on the essentials, but we're not always going to agree on everything. But we become bound to a particular congregation we reunite, unite with them, not only in spirit, but in fellowship. We watch over one another in love. This becomes a kind of spiritual family for us. And yet, while we're fixed in that particular family, we should extend the love of Christ to all, even those in other churches. We tend to leave churches too easily. And that's not just lay people. I think pastors tend to do that too. We keep thinking that there's greener grass on the other side, but I'm always reminded of what Irma Bombeck said, the grass is always greener over the septic tank. The perfect church doesn't exist. And if you found it as a sinner, you'd probably screw it up anyway. So just keep that in mind as you're thinking about your congregation. It may not be perfect, but this is where God has placed you. May it be a place where you extend the love of Christ and watch over one another in love. So here's a a sort of a summary quote of what Wesley means by Catholic spirit. If then we take this word in the strictest sense, a man of Catholic spirit is one who in the manner above mentioned gives his hand to all those whose hearts are aright with his heart. In Catholic spirit, then, there is unity and diversity. We have an unspeakable tenderness for other Christians. We long for their welfare. We commend them to God in prayer. We labor to strengthen their hands in God. Our lives are spent for them. But Wesley says, keep an even pace. Rooted in the faith, once delivered to the saints, and grounded in love, in true Catholic love, till thou art swallowed up in love forever and ever. Be rooted in the faith. That's really the gauge. 
Are we rooted in the faith once delivered to the saints? And then when we are, we are grounded in love, true Catholic love for our neighbors. I will have differences with Baptists or Presbyterians, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox. But we can remain united in love because we are rooted in that same faith once delivered to the saints. This is why catechesis, I think, is so important as well. We have to understand what it is that we believe and what the church historically has believed. When we vary from that, then we begin to get into that speculative latitude and Arianism that Wesley talked about, which is the spot of hell, as he also says. So we have to keep that in mind. Wesley's talking about a center and that around that center, we can have different opinions, but the ground is the love of Christ that's found there in the scriptures, that's found in classic Christian theology, that Christ died for us, gave his life for us, so that we might, in turn, be people who give our lives for the world. So a few further observations as we close here. We have to use this sermon appropriately and in its context. Wesley's talking here about unity and love around the basics of the Christian faith. He's not advocating for religious pluralism. Let me make that clear. Some doctrines doctrines and practices are out of bounds with the faith, faith once delivered to the saints, and we must recognize those. It's part of the conflict that we have now in my own United Methodist Church. What do we mean when we're talking about the faith once delivered to the saints? We can have that doctrine written on paper, but do we actually believe it? Do we hold to it? We have to be discerning about those things and not assume the worst of one another, but try to assume the best as we have those discussions. Denominationalism is not always bad. Remember Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about the body of Christ having many members. I think that's true of the church itself, that these different denominations, while there's a lot of split and schism, there's also a lot of variety that can enhance the body of Christ because one particular mode is not for everyone. Denominationalism is not always bad, but it allows for differing opinions on minor aspects of Christian faith and practice. Christian faith then must always adhere to its doctrinal core, however, or lose its identity. So we can have different opinions on modes of baptism or who should be baptized or whether we should have bishops or not or all those kinds of things, but we have to adhere to a doctrinal core. If we don't do that, then the church universal loses its identity. And love in that sense sometimes means offering rebuke, correction, and discipline for the sake of the faith. And sometimes we have to say, no, that's out of bounds. I love you, but that's incorrect. And we have to be drawn again and again back to the faith once delivered to the saints. Well, this is a great sermon, and often, again, not read in context. So I want to really want to encourage you to read through the whole of Catholic spirit. You might want to go read the whole of this uh, story in 2 Kings chapter 9 and chapter 10, which is a really interesting way that Wesley uses this text. But I think his point is well taken. We need to have love for one another in the larger body of Christ while holding to the core of the faith that Christ has given us. Well, that ends this particular episode on Catholic Spirit. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope that you'll share it with others. 
Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can email me your questions and comments at pastorbk at tlumc.org. Follow me on Twitter at RevBKaler. Look forward to seeing you back here next time on Wednesdays with Wesley. Well, we'll get into the other side of this and we'll talk about a caution against bigotry, how we love those who are outside of the Christian faith. We'll see you then.